Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Today's guest is Emily Calandrelli. She's an American science communicator, former MIT engineer, and the host and executive producer of Exploration Outer Space and Emily's Wonder Lab. She's also an author and public speaker who loves focusing on space exploration, scientific literacy, and gender equality in STEM. We're so, so glad to have her on the first episode of season two. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Chelsea from MS581K. Chelsea, it's so great to do the show with you today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you, hon? I'm good. My name is Chelsea, and I go to MLFA Middle School, and I'm in sixth grade, going to seventh grade. And my favorite subject is math, and my least subject is maybe science or ELA. Tennis is my favorite sport, and I'm so happy to be here. Well, Chelsea, I'm so happy to be doing the show today, and I have a feeling by the end of the show, science may be a really exciting topic for you. We want to see more women in science, and I have a feeling if you're good in math, you may also end up going on a science track at some point. So, Chelsea, who are we interviewing today? So, I'm interviewing Emily, um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right, Colin Jolly. Emily, welcome to today's show. I know we're so thrilled that you're here today. And Chelsea is going to kick us off with her first question. How did you come up with the name Space Gal? (laughs) So my nickname when I was younger was MCAL because Emily Calandrelli, I think we've learned that Calandrelli is a hard last name to say sometimes. And so my nickname was MCAL. And so originally my handle across social media was MCAL Space Gal because I studied aerospace engineering. I studied aerospace engineering for nearly a decade. And so MCAL the Space Gal was how a lot of people knew me. And eventually I just shortened it to the Space Gal. When you were becoming a MIT engineer, did anybody tell you that you can't become an engineer because you're a woman and that instead that you should be a housewife? Oh, (laughs) luckily, I did not have anything that direct. There were definitely some challenges. I think a lot of girls and women in STEM feel this because when I would walk into my classroom in college of my engineering classes, I would be maybe one of two or three girls in a 50 person class. And so when you walk into a room where everybody looks a little bit different than you, you feel like you've walked into the wrong room. Right. And so you kind of have to get over that feeling and just keep pushing towards your goal. And my goal was to become an engineer, to study engineering, because I loved math like you, Chelsea. My favorite class when I was younger was math. And I also didn't like science when I was younger, too. And it took me until I was a little bit older to find the joy in science. And so I was just like you. I loved math because it felt so clean. There was always a very specific, correct answer and I love knowing that I got the right answer science felt a little bit more messy to me and it wasn't until I got older that I found the joy in science that's a pretty good answer I feel you on that because like my first day in MFA I felt so scared because like there's like a whole bunch of classrooms with different type of people so I didn't really know people until now Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I'm like really happy so that I know people from now. So like next year, I don't get scared. Yeah, that's exactly the way to do it, Chelsea, to make that community of people who love the same things that you do, like math, for example, make that community so that you feel supported when you reach those challenges, because it's really hard when you have those challenges and you don't have any friends to lean on to be like, oh, wasn't that really hard? And then you can share ideas on how to get over those challenges. Yeah. Okay, next question. How do you feel about girl power? Well, especially as a woman in STEM, um, I think that having female friends in this industry is the reason that I was able to accomplish so much. Because like we were talking about earlier, Chelsea, when you encounter problems, you need to have friends to go to, to talk to somebody about the issues that you're experiencing, and maybe somebody else who can only understand the issues that you're experiencing. It's, it's really important to have that community. And so that's what girl power means to me is building that community. So you have people to lean on. Tell me about the most challenging engineering project you have worked on. Oh my goodness. So a little over three and a half years ago. So that was when I learned that I was pregnant for the first time. And I wanted to tell the world in a really unique way. And I thought, what would be a fun way to put my engineering skills to work and also announce my pregnancy at the same time? And as an engineer and as a science TV host, I had covered something called high altitude balloons in my TV shows before. Now, a high altitude balloon is usually used for things like figuring out the weather, right? They'll put a lot of sensors on a really big balloon and then they'll launch it. And so the balloon lifts up into the atmosphere and the sensors take a lot of data in the atmosphere and it tells you what the weather is like up there. But you could also put other things on the balloon and not just sensors. And so I designed a high altitude balloon that carried a picture of my ultrasound, which was just a picture of my baby in my belly, all the way to the edge of space. And I put a video camera on there, kind of like a GoPro. And so I launched the balloon and it took this beautiful video of my ultrasound with the edge of the earth and the beauty of space in the background. And it was so wonderful. But I'm telling you, Chelsea, it took me, I would say 20 hours a week for about two to three months to build this thing by myself. Because usually teams of engineers will build it, five or six people will build it. And I was doing this all by myself. So it involved a little coding. It involved understanding what rules I needed to follow with the FAA, which type of permits I needed to be able to launch something to the edge of space. I needed to figure out the GPS on board because when you launch a balloon, it'll fly up, but then it'll also fly to the east right? The winds will take it to the east. And so I needed to follow the GPS and figure out where it was going and get in my car and drive to chase it because the balloon will ascend into the atmosphere and eventually pop. And then all of the stuff on it will fall back down with a parachute. So all of my video footage and the picture of my ultrasound was falling down back to the earth. And I had to chase it with my car and try to figure out where it landed so that I could pick it up before anybody else did. So it was this very exciting time in my life. I was pregnant. I was announcing it to the world. I did the hardest engineering project that I'd ever worked on in my life. And I was chasing it down to try to find it before anybody else did. That's really interesting. Did anybody else see it? 
So nobody else picked it up before I did. Luckily, it fell into this big farm field and there was nobody around other than just this one tractor that was going down the farm. And so I was very lucky that it didn't fall on top of somebody's house. It doesn't it didn't fall on a power line of some kind. It didn't fall into the road. I got very lucky, brought my friends along with me so that I had some support. Right. It's always fun to do these types of things with friends. And so we were all in our cars driving to chase it. And the four of us came and picked it up. Um, so can you describe a time you demonstrated leadership skills at work? Oh, my goodness. Well, I had um, a problem when I was traveling recently. Uh, this is also related to being a mom. It just so happens to be a lot of my stories are related to being a mom. I was traveling with breast milk for my baby and I got sort of held up through security at the airport. So when you go through security, you have to put all of your stuff through the x-ray and they have to make sure that everything is safe. And the agents there thought that the stuff that I needed for my breast milk was unsafe. And so they confiscated it and they didn't let me take it through. And it turns out that they weren't following the rules. I was allowed to take it through and they broke their own rules. And so I put it on social media and said that, hey, I experienced this problem. Has anybody else experienced this problem? And I had thousands of moms and parents all over the country who said, I also have experienced that problem. And I think where I demonstrated leadership was when I said, okay, we've all experienced this problem. What are we going to do about it? And so I contacted my representative and I told her about all of our issues. And I took all of the comments that everybody gave me. And I said, here are all the issues that we've had. What can we do about it? And Representative Katie Porter was like, well, let's write a bill together. And it just came out recently. And so now we found a solution to help all of these parents who had problems. And I think that was a situation with leadership where I thought somebody needs to do something. Why can't that somebody be me? That's interesting. That's very interesting. Like, I love all the stories that you're giving me right now because, like, I feel like that's leadership. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get so intrigued by science? Oh, wow. I think that came later on in life. My dad grew up in poverty and he worked his way up to middle class, which is where my family grew up. And because of that legacy in the back of my mind, when I chose what major I wanted to major in, I wanted to choose something that would give me a good career when I graduated. And so as a high school senior, I Googled all of the majors that one could major in and I looked at their starting salaries. And that is how I chose engineering, because I wanted to make my family proud. I wanted to make sure that I had a good job because my dad felt that that was really important to bring his family from poverty to middle class. And I wanted to take my family even farther. And so that's how I ultimately chose engineering. And I thought, oh, gosh, this is going to be so hard. I'm going to have the hardest four years of my life. It's going to be really boring. I'm going to have no social life, but I'm going to end up with a good job in the end and make my family proud. And so I get into engineering school and I discover something. I discover that there are so many incredible adventures that somebody can have if they study science and engineering. So many paid adventures. So one in particular was something called the Vomit Comet. Now the Vomit Comet, do you know what this is, Chelsea? Have you ever heard of this? No. I hadn't heard of this when I was your age. And let me tell you about it because it's the coolest thing that I ever learned about. The Vomit Common is the reason that I chose to go into aerospace engineering, which ultimately led to me becoming the space gal. The Vomit Comet is a plane 
that flies in the air like an 8,000 foot roller coaster in the sky. It goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And the reason it does that is because the people inside when it does this will float weightless like astronauts. So when it goes up and down like this, you float weightless for about 30 seconds. And then when it goes down and up like this, you feel really heavy about 2G, about twice your weight for another 30 seconds. So you feel weightless and heavy and weightless and heavy and weightless and heavy and weightless and heavy and weightless and heavy for an hour and a half, which is why they call it the vomit comet. Because if you rode a roller coaster that intense for that long, you might get sick, which I did. But you do this because you can do experiments inside right? You can test experiments in weightless conditions, kind of like they, if they were in space. So instead of launching an experiment to space, you can just put it on this plane and do a science experiment on the plane in 30 second intervals. And so I took a class that would allow me to fly on the Vomit Comet as a student. And so as a student, when I was like 19 or 20 years old, I was able to fly on the Vomit Comet and fly a science experiment for free. I didn't have to pay for any of this. And so I kind of reluctantly went into engineering, but then was inspired by all of the adventures that I could have, like the Vomit Comet. And that is what drew me to this love of science and aerospace engineering and space. I just think there are so many adventures that you can have when you study these fields as a student. So when you were on the Vomit Comet, do you think it was fun? Oh my gosh, Chelsea. It was so, it was the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. I've now flown on it three times <laughs> because I did it as a student and it was my favorite thing I've ever done. And so when I became a TV show host, the fun thing about being the host of a TV show and being an executive producer of a TV show is that you get to decide what you do. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was fly on the Vomit Comet. So I found a way to fly on the Vomit Comet two more times with my show, Exploration Outer Space, it's a Saturday morning show on Fox. And so I was able to fly on it two more times and I've now flown on it three times. And to this day, it's the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. And did you vomit all three times? Luckily, I got my air legs, as astronauts would call them, and I only got air sick the first time. And so I, I kind of got used to it, I guess, after the first time and only got sick that time. Chelsea, would you want to fly on the Vomit Comet? How does that sound? Fun. Does that sound fun? Yeah. Um, have you ever went out of space? Not yet. That is one life goal of mine. I want to go to outer space so badly. Chelsea, I will tell you right now that I think one day it will happen because now more than ever in history, there are more ways to get to space than ever before. And because there are so many different ways to get to space, so many different rockets and rides to get to space, I promise you that one day I will find myself on one of those rides. I'm hoping someday in the next like five years, but maybe it'll be in 10 years or 15 years, but one day I'll, I will make it into space. Which job do you like the most out of engineering, an author, or a host? Oh, great question, Chelsea. Yeah, I do a lot of different things as my job. I'm a TV show host. I'm a children's book author. I'm a public speaker, and I do a lot of work on social media. And I think the thing that I enjoy the most is my work on social media, because that is when I feel like I most directly interact with the people who follow me. When I do a TV show, it's really fun. I get to travel to lots of cool places and I film something, but then it goes on TV and I don't get to directly interact with the people who watch it. 
when I write books, it's really fun. I love exercising that creative aspect of the stuff that I love. But then when people read the books, I'm not directly with them, right? I'm not with them when they're reading the book. But on social media, I can interact with comments. I can talk to people through DMs. I can actually reach out to the people who are following my stuff. And that's the reason why I think my social media work is my favorite. Emily, how has your life changed being a, a talk show host. How did you make that transition and and how is it different or the same or? Yeah, right. I think it's like anything in life. When I first started off, I was very new to it. I hadn't, I had no TV experience. I had no producing experience. The only experience I had was my knowledge and love of the aerospace industry, that natural excitement about the aerospace industry. And that's why they chose me to be the host of this new show, Exploration Outer Space. This was, gosh, I'm looking at the date. It's like nine years ago now. And so that's why they chose me, but I had no TV experience. And so if you look back at the first couple seasons of my show, you'll notice that I'm not as good at it as I am today. Like anything else in this world, it takes practice to get better at. And so I would do a season and then I would watch myself in every episode and I would say, hmm, why do I look awkward? <laughs> How can I get better at it the next season? And then you would just try to figure out what to improve and improve on that the next season. And then you do that all again. You look at yourself and you think, okay, what could be better? What can I improve on for next season? And so every single season, every single episode, I worked on something to get a little bit better. And so today I'm much better than I was eight, nine years ago now. But yeah, like anything else, it takes time to get better. That's really interesting. Um, who inspired you the most? Ooh, who inspires me the most? Man. So the people that I love the most are people who can combine science, their love of science and their knowledge of science with some sort of creative ability. So for example, uh, Raven the Science Maven is someone I admire and am inspired by because she is a songwriter and a rapper, but she is also a hardcore scientist and a very, very smart scientist. And so she combines her love of science with her love of songwriting and rapping. And so Raven the Science Maven is someone that I am absolutely inspired by. Bill Nye is another person that I'm inspired by because I think he combines his love of science and his knowledge of science with his ability to entertain. He's a very good entertainer. He's a very good comedian. And he combines both of those skill sets to be able to create something that's magical, that creates something that's really engaging and captivating. And so those are the types of people that I'm really inspired by who can combine their love of science, with their love of creativity in a really unique way. What is the number one thing you want kids like me to know about the power of space? Ooh, the power of space for me is just that it is so awe-inspiring. The fact that there are still so many incredible mysteries left unsolved that we need very smart and creative and passionate kids just like you, Chelsea, to help solve them. I mean, when I was growing up, I thought that the adults had figured everything out, that all my job was to do was to read about it in a book and to learn about it and memorize it. But that's not even close to being the case, Chelsea. There are still so many questions that haven't had answers yet. There are still so many questions that we haven't even asked yet. 
that we need people like you to think of. And I think that's really exciting. And space in particular, there are so many questions that we haven't been able to ask yet because we're still learning about the universe. It's like the James Webb Space Telescope that recently launched. That's helping us see the rest of the universe. Because how can we even ask questions about it if we don't know what's out there, if we can't see it? And so we have all of these cool new tools to help us see the universe so that we can begin to look at it and ask questions about it. Um, what about the power of science? And the power of science is that that gives us the tools to ask the right questions, right? The scientific method is this really rigorous process to ask questions and get the right answers, right? We look at something, we observe something, we make a hypothesis, a guess to what the solution is, and then we test that hypothesis and gather data and then revise the hypothesis to ask an even better question. The scientific method is just a rigorous, great way to ask questions so that we can figure out what the truth is about the universe. And we need to figure out what the truth is about the universe because that helps us understand our place in the universe. So with everybody's questions and suggests, do you like make them into like hypotheses? Yeah, I think through the scientific method, that's exactly right. We turn a question into a hypothesis. We ask a question and then we make a hypothesis as to what the answer might be. And then we test that hypothesis. We try to figure out what the answer is and we look at the data through the experiments. And if the data doesn't support our hypothesis, then we revise our hypothesis. We revise the guess to that question that we made. When you were my age or younger, by the way, I'm 11. What did you want to do when you grew up? Oh my gosh, Chelsea, I wanted to be so many things. I didn't really have one specific idea in mind. Basically, Chelsea, what I'm saying is I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was your age. I One, I didn't consider myself one of the smart kids. I went to a high school where a bunch of the kids at my school had parents who were engineers or scientists or they had PhDs because I had a university that was close by to my school. So a lot of the kids at my school, their parents were actually professors at the local university. But I didn't know anybody in science or engineering. I'm the first first person in my family to pursue a degree in STEM. And because of that, I didn't consider myself one of the smart kids when I was a kid. I had to build up my confidence to feel like one of the smart kids. It took me a while to realize that you can make yourself one of the smart kids. And I made myself one of the smart kids, but not till later on in life. But I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to create buildings. I wanted to be an architect. For me, because I liked math and art so much, I thought, how can I combine these two? And I thought, well, maybe I'll become an architect and design buildings. I'll know how much strength the building can hold and I'll be able to design a beautiful design around it. And that was the way that I thought I wanted to combine my two interests. Um, but my school didn't have architecture. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll become an engineer first and then an architect later. Then when I got to school, I discovered my love of space. And so then I studied aerospace engineering. But basically what I'm saying is it's okay if you don't know what you're going to do. Just follow your passions and eventually you will find something that you love doing. So when I was at elementary school, I used to take history, but I know there was like a textbook and then the teacher would tell us to go to a page and like read about these different type of histories like back in the days civil wars and stuff like that but 
I was never interested because, like, I felt like it was hard, you know? And it was kind of hard for me to understand things. Yeah, I agree. And that's why it's hard sometimes to love something that is so difficult to learn. But if you keep at it and you search for other ways to learn about it, I'm telling you, there is there's inherently something interesting in every one of your subjects in school. You sometimes just have to work a little harder to find a different way to learn about it. In your travels and working with kids, what surprised you the most? Oh my goodness. I mean, kids are so smart. Kids are so incredibly smart. You have a unique perspective that adults don't have. You have a fresh perspective. Sometimes you're looking at something in a way that adults wouldn't be able to look at it. And your questions are so valuable. Your ideas are so valuable because you have this unique perspective as the next generation, you're gonna view everything a little bit differently than the adults ahead of you. Right. And so I think that's the one thing I would want all kids to know is that your input, your questions and your ideas are so incredibly valuable. I have absolutely no comment about that. <laughs> you agree. <laughs> um, why is it important for more women and girls to do careers in STEM? Right. Why is it important for more girls and also more people of color, people who just aren't old white men to pursue degrees in STEM? Right, because a lot of our fields, especially in aerospace engineering and the aerospace industry, it's filled with old white guys. Now, why is it important that we include diversity? Well, in a lot of those fields, we're solving problems, right? And we need people to provide solutions. If we have a bunch of people who all have the same life experiences and are all very similar to each other looking at a problem, they might all look at that same problem from the same type of way. Remember how I said being young provides you a unique perspective to a problem? Having a different life experience, a different culture, a different background, a different community, different growing up experiences, those all help provide a different perspective when you're looking at a problem. And in the aerospace industry and in the space industry, we are solving some of the biggest problems and asking the biggest questions that humans have ever asked. And we need all of the perspectives to be able to solve those problems. And so that's why diversity is so important is because we have these really tough problems and we need everybody's input to help solve them. Okay, that's all my questions for today. <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea. Thank yeah. you for being here today. And one of the questions that we ask all our guests is if you could go back in time and give your 13-year-old self advice, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Man, I would tell myself earlier on to follow the fear and that failure is a wonderful thing. Because when I was younger, I was afraid to do things that I might fail at. Because if I failed at them, what would that say about me as a person? Would that mean that I was stupid? Would that mean that I wasn't good enough at something? Um, and I was, uh, I was afraid to try really hard things when I was much younger. Now I have learned that the best accomplishments in life start with a little bit of fear. That is the time when you know that you are going to challenge yourself, where you know you are guaranteed to learn something. So I tell myself to follow the fear because, you know, being brave doesn't mean that you don't have those fears. Being brave means you don't let those fears get in the way of your goals, right? And if you can't get over your fear sometimes, because a lot of times I, I don't get over my fear in the moment, just do it scared, right? Because your future self 
will thank you. And that failure is just a part of life. Failure means that you are working really hard at something and that's a good sign because you want to be experiencing failure throughout your life. And if you're not, that means you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Emily, for joining us today. And Chelsea, thank you for being a phenomenal co-host. And that's all I have for today. Thank you so much, Chelsea. It's great talking to you. You too. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gastic. My co-host today was Chelsea from MSK 581 in Brooklyn. She was assisted by Nichelle Haynes-Tran. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by David Hoffman and Tasha Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.